Well, as we come to God's Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come having heard your Word read, and we ask now that you will speak, and we ask that you will help us to hear, help us to understand, help us to know, and help us to grow from this, that we might go into our week and the weeks ahead. Uh, in faith and in trust. And so, Father, we ask, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, speak that you might be glorified in us as your word comes to life. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our world is filled with injustice. The headlines are filled with injustices one after another. Racial injustice, social injustice, workplace injustice, the injustice of global distribution of the COVID vaccine. And the list goes on. Our world is filled with injustice. And yet there's also the quiet injustices people experience each and every day. And I suspect at some level we've all experienced some kind of injustice, some kind of unfairness. And maybe it's not newsworthy, uh, but it results in distress or anxiety or sleepless nights. When you get to the end of the day, you're looking at your ceiling and you pray or you ask, what the heck, God? What was that all about? Where were you? Where's this grace? Where's this power? Are you even here? Do you even care? Do you hear me? And the psalm that we've just read echoes these sentiments, these moments. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. It's a prayer for relief in distress. When we particularly express, experience injustice at the hands of other people. Now we don't know the specific circumstances when David wrote this. But that's not unique, is it? an experience many of us know. And this is a psalm not just written by David, but it was written for the choir to be sung in the temple. And while it is a prayer for relief, it is also a psalm, a song of confidence. And this is one of the reasons we sing. A bit of a tangent, but we sing to remind us of who God is, and the confidence we find in the gospel. So we want to be careful about what we sing. But let's come back to the psalm. This psalm opens in distress. We see in verse 2 there's accusations against innocent people by people with authority, power, status of some kind. And they falsely accuse an innocent person for their own gain. 
turning others' glory into shame. They build themselves up by shaming others, boasting in vain and pursuing lies. And they take every advantage to build themselves up even at the cost of others. Recently, a barber complained to me about the injustice of shopping centers. Uh, He's a small business that's been there for years and years, but the shopping center gives preferential treatment to the larger shops while he and other small businesses suffer. They cared only about their wallets and bank accounts and not their clients. And in this age of equality and tolerance, the inequality and injustices of our world continue to thrive. And in the midst of this, this psalm hints at confidence that we find in God. How does he open? He says, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Now, if you've got the NIV like I do here, it doesn't make that particularly clear. See, a better translation would be the God who vindicates me or the God of my righteousness. What does that mean? It means that not only is God righteous, but that he vindicates people, that is, he declares them innocent or he makes them innocent, and that he is the righteousness of people. We'll unpack this as we go along. See, our identity and our status isn't dictated by other people or the world, but by God himself. It is God who vindicates us. He declares that we are innocent, that he is our righteousness. He is like a judge who declares innocence of a defendant. And so God vindicates those who trust in Him. So we can come to Him with confidence. Now how does He actually do this? Well, verse 3, we read there, the Lord has set apart His faithful servant for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. And the psalm speaks of a person who puts their faith in God. And God sets them apart. He sets them apart from the world for relationship with Him, for Himself, and He hears their prayers. Now, I read that and I hesitate, because I don't know about you, but I would be hesitant to call myself faithful. I'm a sinner. There's a war that rages in my heart for allegiance. Allegiance to God and allegiance to myself or something else. An idol battles for allegiance in my heart. But there's another side to this. And you may know this. There's someone who is faithful. A faithful servant set apart by God for himself. And God hears his prayers. God hears him when he calls. He is faithful. He is innocent. He is free from sin. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and buried. He is God's faithful servant who has been set apart for God, for Him, for relationship with Him, and God hears His prayers. Jesus, innocent and sinless, suffers injustice. 
We, re- we look back to Easter. We remember the story of Easter. Jesus suffers injustice at the hands of the Jewish leaders. And instead of protesting His innocence, instead of God vindicating Him, He goes to the cross. And He dies the criminal's death. And why? So that God might vindicate us those of us who are not faithful, who are not innocent, who are not sinless before God, Jesus goes to the cross so that God might vindicate us and declare that we are innocent. And through that, through the blood of Jesus that is shed on that cross, He makes us righteous. In the death of Jesus, God atones. He substitutes our sin, our guilt, our shame, our fear, our deserving of death for the innocence and the righteousness of His Son. There's an exchange that happens. We read in 2 Corinthians, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are made right with God. We are vindicated by God. So that we become this faithful servant. We are set apart by God to be His faithful servant for relationship with Him. And He then hears us when we call. And this is the kind of confidence that we can have when we come to God in prayer. That He will hear us. Not because of anything of ourselves, not because of anything we have done or anything we have achieved, but because of Jesus. By going to the cross, God vindicates us, makes us righteous as we put faith in Jesus. And in the face of false accusations and injustices in our world, instead there is freedom. There is an assured identity, security in a God who declares you, as you put your faith in Jesus, He declares you to be His faithful servant. And He will hear you when you call. Do you have that confidence? When you come to God in prayer, do you have that kind of confidence? that God will hear you. And that's good news for us, isn't it? That in the world of injustice, we have someone who will vindicate us, who will declare that we are innocent. But this gospel, this good news, isn't just for those in distress, but those, as we read in verse 2, who turn others' glory into shame, who love delusions and seek false gods. Verse 4 in this psalm, in this song, turns to them and says, Tremble and do not sin when you are on your bed. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer sacrifices of the righteous and trust in God. And Paul quotes these words in Ephesians. And we read in Ephesians 4, as Paul talks about the new life we have in Jesus, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And picture the choir singing this through the temple. This call to trust God with all of life. And the person who seeks his own glory at the expense of others, who loves delusions, who seeks false gods, their call, this psalm calls them to repent and to trust God. But that's 
a call for all people. It's a call for you and me to tremble and not sin, to search your heart and be silent, to offer sacrifices of the righteous and to trust in the Lord. What are these sacrifices? Well, in ancient times, sacrifices were mainly offerings of food. But really, it's anything. It's anything that God gives people for life. Our abilities, our gifts, our resources, our time, our relationships, our family, friends, possessions, our home, food, money, and anything that God gives people for life. And in offering this We give back to God what He has given to us and it is an act of trust. If God provides what we need, then our offerings and our sacrifices are a practical demonstration of our trust in God. But on a deeper level, it's an offering, it's a sacrifice of the heart. It's the sacrifice of self-dependency and self-sufficiency. David says elsewhere, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Psalm 51. Now, Paul, David's not rejecting offerings and sacrifices. Rather, the two, head and heart, sorry, heart and hands go together. Right, the sacrifices of a broken spirit, a person who recognizes their need for God to depend on God, they make those offerings and sacrifices of trust. It's a matter of faith and trust, not obligation and religion. But it starts with the heart. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him to deal first with your sin on the cross? Do you trust Him to provide all that you need? Or do you depend rather on yourself or something else? To offer sacrifices to God is an expression of trust. And look, I'm not there yet. Maybe, like me, you trust God with one part of your life but not another. You trust God with finances but not your relationships. Maybe you trust Him with work, but not your family. You trust Him to work in other people, but not in you. Do you trust Him in every area of life? Are you confident that God is God of all of life? I wonder as you hear that if doubts still linger on your mind. And we read this in verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Do the doubts linger in your mind? Who, who will bring us prosperity? Who will bring us success? Who will bring us purpose and meaning? Life's challenges are real. And we wake up each day to those realities, don't we? Providing for our families, managing the affairs of life or adulting is we've come to call it. Getting through the work of each day, wrapping our heads around the information and skills needed to pl- pass a class. 
wrestling with the broken and sensitive people around us. And the realities of life go on and on. Who will bring us prosperity and success? Can God really deliver? The doubts are real. But where does this psalm take us? We have those who ask who will bring us prosperity, but the choir sings in response, let the light of your face shine on us. This is an echo of the blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. In the face of doubt, the psalm David prays for joy to fill his heart. Verse 7, fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine are bound. What kind of joy is this that so fills the heart when their grain and new wine are bound, when others succeed and prosper, when others find wealth, and hell. What kind of joy is this that overshadows all of that? See, David isn't playing, praying for the blessing of prosperity, success, wealth, or health. He is praying for a joy that overshadows all of those things. He prays for a joy that comes only when the presence of God, the light of His face, shines on us. A study by the University of Iowa uh, in 2012 found that infants have a close, who, who do have a close intimate relationship with at least one parent uh, in their early childhood are less likely to experience emotional or behavioral problems later in life. didn't matter if it was one parent or two. Um, as long as they had a close relationship with one. The gift of God's presence. The gift of relationship with Him is more precious than any physical or material blessing that He can give. Listen to that again. The gift of God's presence and relationship with Him is more precious than any physical or material blessing that He can give. The world tells you joy is found in the external. But the choir sings, let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy even when their grain and new wine abound. Seek this joy. The joy that overshadows the prosperity and success, the wealth and health of others. Seek this joy that fills your heart as God turns His face to you and gives you peace. And what happens when you have this joy? What happens well, the psalm tells us, doesn't it? You can rest in peace. I'm not talking about death. I'm not talking about 
not not RAP. Now you can peace. What does it say? Verse eight. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. The fruit of joy is peace. Peace when you lie down and sleep. I don't know about you. How how easily do you go to sleep? <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not just talking about when you get into bed, but it's everything in the lead up to sleep. Right? How easily do you switch off and go to sleep? You're the kind of person, and I'm putting my hand up here, who takes advantage of every moment to get stuff done. Kids are asleep, let's go. That's what I do. Or maybe you toss and turn with a million thoughts about the day or the jobs and tasks for tomorrow. Or do you worry about the safety of your family and your home? Or in this day, do you sit up with social media and binge watch videos to distract yourself from the realities of life? Can you lie down and sleep with this peace? Now the thing about this peace is there's nothing you can do to achieve it. It's born from faith, confidence in God. And that in itself is a gift. This peace, this kind of peace comes only from the presence of God with you. It comes only as God fills your heart with this incomparable, incomprehensible joy that only He can give. And the Psalms are full of these descriptions of joy. Psalm 5, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing ever for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 16. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes, Psalm 19. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence, Psalm 21. It goes on and on. It repeats itself all the way through the Psalms. Joy comes when you trust in God, when you depend on him, when you seek him, when you listen to him, when you are with him. Remember how the psalm started. It started with distress and injustice. But here we end with joy, peace, and safety. Our God is a righteous God. But He's the God who vindicates us through the sacrifice and death of Jesus. Who declares us innocent of those as we trust in Him. He's the God who makes us righteous by giving us the righteousness of Jesus. He's the one who gives us joy, peace, and safety. So what do we do with all of that? Well, the first thing, as we're reminded at the start, is to call on God with confidence. We, in the midst of distress and injustice and all of life, God hears the prayers of His people. As you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, 
You are the faithful servant that we read in verse 3. You are the faithful servant that God sets apart for relationship with Him. And also, Christ Jesus who died, Romans 8, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Many of us know the words, even when we don't know how or what to pray, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And this confidence we have as we come to God, as we call on Him, comes from the character of God, from who He is. Now, if He's some angry, judgmental, critical God, there's no confidence as we come to Him. No reason to come to Him. But if He's gracious, merciful, and loving, then we have full confidence to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4. In Jesus we can pray, we can call on God with confidence. But second, we can also trust God. Not only can we call on Him, but we can trust Him with confidence. We can trust that He will provide for all your needs. Again, familiar words for many people. Jesus teaches his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. What part of life specifically do you need to trust God? going to be different for everyone, but where do you need to trust God? Is it in your finances? Is it it work, study, relationships, the future, your kids' future, faith, church? Where do you need to trust God? And knowing what you need, you can come to God confident and pray and call on Him. And you can pray for faith and joy to experience His presence. The goodness and faithfulness, His goodness and faithfulness in each and every part of life. And again, we go back to the psalm. This joy is not the joy of prosperity and success, but the joy of knowing God, of knowing Him personally and powerfully. And as those come together, you can sleep. You can sleep in His peace. You can lay your head down each night confident of who God is. Sleep is one of the things that expresses your faith in a very, very simple way. Can you sleep or can't you? Faith and joy in God gives birth to peaceful sleep. And it extends, this is me extending it, but I think it extends also into other areas of life. If God is who He says He is, if He gives us this joy that overshadows the prosperity and success of others, then surely there is peace in our work. There is peace in our study 
in our finances, in our relationships, in our family. You can experience the peace of God as you trust Him and seek Him to fill you with this joy. Just picture that. And I'm, really sh- I'm sure that's not a hard thing to do. Picture peace in every part of your life. What would that look like? In a world of inequality and injustice, maybe you're asking, is it possible? And if you've got little kids, you're definitely asking, is this possible? To find this joy and peace. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Am I there yet? Not completely. And this is hard. Let me say it's hard. Not because it's complicated, but because the allegiance of our hearts are often misplaced. Or our hearts are hard. I want to be in control. I want things on my own terms. And I don't want to let those go. Or we sweep it under the carpet. We're afraid of the unknown, of disappointment or failure. Or by default, many of us look to our own abilities and resources to find joy and peace. But as we've gone through this psalm, it reminds us to look upwards. To look to God with confidence. To pray and to call out to Him with confidence. Not simply because he is God, that's amazing in itself, but because he is the God who is righteous. He's the one who acts on our behalf. He vindicates us and declares us innocent in Jesus. He's the one who makes us righteous by giving us the righteousness of Jesus. Our confidence is found in who God is and what he has done for his people. As we see in Jesus We see innocence and sinless, this innocent and sinless man, and he goes to the cross so that God can set apart a people, faithful servants for himself, for relationship with him. And as we put our faith in Jesus, we share in that privilege of coming to God as a child. The privilege of coming freely into the throne room of God the door that's been opened by Jesus and we can come in confidence later in the year we're going to be looking at Esther and some of you know the story as Esther decides whether or not to approach the king because without invitation the threat is the punishment is one of death but here we have a God who opens the door And as children of God, there is no punishment. There is no restriction to come to God. So will you do that? As you go into this week, will you come to God in confidence? And if there are injustices and things that cause distress, to come confidently back to God and remember who you are in Jesus and what He has done for you. And you can do all of that. Find joy and peace and sleep. So let's do that. Let's come confident to God and pray to Him.
Heavenly Father, what a privilege that we can call you Father. That we can come to you without obstruction, without barriers, without things in the way. We can come to you freely and confidently that you will hear us. And so we pray. Hear our prayer. Give us faith to have confidence in you. Give us faith to trust you with all of life. And help us to demonstrate that trust. To live out that faith in every area of our lives. To offer and to sacrifice what rightfully belongs to you. But we pray also for this joy. This inexpressible joy that overshadows anything that the world can give. The joy that comes as you turn your face on us, on the people you love, and your light shines upon us. Give us that joy. Fill us with that joy that we might know your presence, your peace, and security that comes from you. So help us, help us as we go into today, help us as we go into this week to come confidently to you, to trust you, and to find rest and sleep in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.